Welcome into The Looking Glass, the podcast for speculative poets and poetry lovers alike. Join me, Jasmine Arch, on a journey into a world where nothing is what you expect it to be. Together with speculative poets from across the world and from all levels of experience, we'll be exploring the magic behind this fascinating genre and hopefully have a few laughs along the way. Greetings, Looking Glass travellers, and welcome to episode 5 of Into the Looking Glass. Now, I've got a few housekeeping bits to get through before we can dip into this month's interview. First of all, as of now, each and every one of you can weigh in on upcoming episodes by sending me questions for future guests. To do so, join the Looking Glass Discord server where a separate channel has been created for that purpose. You'll find bios for each confirmed guest, so even if you're not familiar with them and their work, you can find out a bit more about them. Second, on a more personal note, and one I'm super excited about, a poem of mine, The Hunter, got published in the September issue of Mermaids Monthly, along with a story by former podcast guest Cislyn Smith, and a lot of other great pieces of poetry and fiction by some amazing writers, so do go and check that out. Third, dogs. I've included disclaimers about canine intrusion a few times before because I've got four dogs in the house and it's not always possible to edit their impromptu guest appearances out of every recording. However, this episode's Poet of the Month, Brandon, asked me not to edit them out at all because their antics brought him joy. So in this episode, you'll hear more than you usually would from Lucy and Unari, two of the four dogs my partner and I share our life and home with. And I think that's all I had on my list for today. So without further ado, let's get this show on the road. I mean, on the air, in your ears. Something like that. You know what I mean. I had so much fun interviewing Brandon, and I hope at least some of that rubs off on you as you're listening. Brandon O'Brien is a writer, performance poet, teaching artist, and game designer from Trinidad and Tobago. His work has been published in Uncanny Magazine, Fireside Magazine, Strange Horizons, Reckoning, and New Worlds, Old Ways, Speculative Tales from the Caribbean, among others. He is the former poetry editor of Fire, a magazine of black speculative fiction. His debut poetry collection, Can You Sign My Tentacle, is out now from Interstellar Flight Press. Hi, Brandon. Welcome into the Looking Glass, first of all. Hi, thank you for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. Um, so tell us, first of all, what's been going on in your poetic life lately? Um, well, first of all, I'm still thoroughly overwhelmed that I have a book with my name on it out in the world now. Um, uh, mm. I'm still very excited to know that that exists, even though I haven't gotten my own author copies yet because of international male things but i'm so like like radically overwhelmed by the fact that like there's something with my name on it and people can have it in their hands now like that's every writer's dream is obviously to get to the point where um not only do they have a book but it's a book that they genuinely care about and i'm very grateful that this has happened for me i can imagine um i ordered your book because um Interstellar Flight Press was kind enough to send me a review copy, but after I read it, um, I just really wanted to have like the physical thing in my bookcase as soon as I have a bookcase, but it's also still en route to my door. Um, <laughs> and I hope that it arrives soon. 
<laughs> well, since Belgium is such a backwater place where speculative poetry is not a thing, um, they like literally had to order it from the supplier, so it's going to be a while. Um, but I'm still hoping that will improve one day if I keep nagging the local bookstore about it. <laughs> I hope that that happens for you. Coming from the Caribbean, I kind of know that feeling in particular, that you get really <laughs> excited for something that you have to wait ages for, because nobody knows that it exists yet, and when you go to your local bookstore and say, hey, do you have this? Like, we haven't heard about this. This is new to us. Um, <laughs> but I do hope that you get it very soon, especially because we're recording right now in October, which is spooky season. Yeah, absolutely. So it'd be very nice for you to get it before Halloween passes, but we shall we see. We shall see. And I'm thinking photos will appear on Twitter and maybe something on TikTok when it does. Um, because, yeah, I, I... I would like that very much. I can't... Well, I already did one TikTok about it. Um because TikTok is like a new toy, so obviously you have to play with it. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's just I don't I don't often get books in my hands that I can't stop screaming about. But this one was definitely um, definitely that for me. I'm you know to be honest, I I think I don't know when, but I saw like the 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 cover appearing in my twitter feed and i immediately messaged my friends and like oh my god look at this book cover <gasps> and she was like what but we both you know in all fairness we both have a tentacle thing so you had us a tentacle and we didn't even have to see the book <laughs> but it did deliver it did deliver nice. i'm glad that i held your attention <laughs> um so i mean yeah, let's start talking about the book now that we've got the fangirling out of the way. Um, <laughs> the same friend, when I started like reading these poems, um, the same friend got pelted with all these random messages along the line as, oh my goddess, I love these poems, and <gasps> the sound of this line. And oh shit, he's drowning out my inner narrator. Um, and I'm so here for it because as I, I do a lot of narrating, so whenever I read something, I sort of hear it in my own voice. And that totally didn't happen with these poems, which was really, really fun to have happening. Um, but that last I'm, thing... I'm very glad for that in particular. Yeah, it was like the first thing I noticed about the collection and the one that still sticks with me. Your voice is so strong, but um, it still felt like a super comfortable read, despite phrasing and syntax I wouldn't naturally have myself. And your poems contain both that and like a strength and a power. And it's just how do you combine that strength and power with the ease of sound and movement? Um, it is so much harder than you make it look. Do you have any idea where it comes from? <laughs> I am going to be perfectly honest and say I have no idea. <laughs> um, my process very often when I'm writing tends to be um, I will gravitate towards a certain kind of sound or a certain kind of atmosphere and I'll just kind of go for it. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of these poems um, were very close to their first or second drafts because I just really liked the energy that I got when I, like, made them. But I wasn't really, like, deliberately thinking about a thing. I just kind of 
free wrote and then try to adjust the sound more so than anything else because mm-hmm. like those are the things that you look for and identify most in a poem um so often i have no idea what it's actually doing simply that it's doing something and it sounds good while it's doing it <laughs> um which is fine by me sometimes sometimes a po- like i've gotten accustomed to the idea that um so long that so long as a poem generates an emotion and you're perfectly fine with the idea that it's not it's not an emotion that you don't think is necessary for the moment it's fine if something is doing something that you weren't prepared for at that time mm-hmm. um i do think that a lot of poems in the collection do that for me where i wrote it like in a certain kind of mood or trying to replicate a certain kind of experience that i was having and then it didn't and i was like just does it is it absolutely necessary that people feel the way I felt writing it? Probably not. Um, so sometimes I have no idea what a thing feels like until it's done. And I think that I should think about that more because that is a kind of intent that you should always care about in your work. But sometimes it is actually really refreshing for the poem to reveal something to you, so long as it's not something that you are afraid of, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And it's something I really love, um, sort of the fact that you leave that space, that white space and that room for interpretation, because it really allows your work to become a collaboration between you and the reader, um, which is something that's really hard to do, because oftentimes we or I at least, and I think a lot of people have sort of a tendency to want to hammer people over the head with intention. And that is what I want this poem to say. And I just love when when you can just let go of that. Um, It's something I'm still trying to learn myself. So I absolutely love that. Yeah. Um, So it is very challenging. mm. But like, I do appreciate when like, as a writer, there are very few surprises that you can get from your own work. And that can be kind of depressing because we are also readers, right? Mm -hmm. So we like experiencing our work for the first time and knowing that we are discovering something or experiencing it for the fourth or fifth time and knowing that we are experiencing something new that we hadn't experienced before. And often, as a writer, the only way that you can do that is to leave room for writers to say that they have discovered something. Well, absolutely. Um, So you write both fiction long and short form, I think, and poetry. And then there's your background in spoken word. But where did it all start? Which one came first? Um, poetry came first. Mm-hmm. Um, in its own very roundabout way. I uh, started writing when I was very young, but uh, that was mostly for myself. Um, I really enjoyed writing poetry. Um, I used to write like very bad uh, drafts of novels that if I ever found them again and looked at them, I'd probably be very ashamed of myself. But uh, I was very, like, intrigued by writing uh, from a very young age, even before I knew that it was there was something that you could do with it. I just liked doing it because it was uh, refreshing and cathartic for me just to write something. And then I got into spoken word... Uh, in high school, uh, when people started noticing that I would like write poetry in classes, like while teachers were literally talking, I would put away my school notebook and take out another notebook and start writing a poem. And people started thinking, um, that's 
strange, but these things are kind of cool. Maybe you want to do this thing. <laughs> uh, because people were now starting to perform uh, spoken word poetry at that time. And it was like beginning to gain interest. And I had befriended somebody in high school who uh, was interested in it and wanted to see it grow in a high school capacity and asked me if I wanted to start performing. And I had no idea what that looked like or felt like at the time. And then I did it for the first time and really enjoyed it. Um, And I've been gravitating to that space ever since. Um, It's become more of a professional space as well, allowing me to... uh, give back to younger people in an outreach capacity that I've really appreciated. Um, And then that led to me attending a local book fair uh, and meeting Karen Lord and Tobias Bakel, who are two brilliant science fiction writers from the Caribbean, whose work is astounding, and I love everything that they've ever made. Um... And that got me into thinking that I could actually write and get published, that people could actually see me, that this could just, that this could stop being a hobby and start being actual work. Um, and I'm very glad to say that it's kind of gotten to that point as a result. Um, so yeah, it was a very roundabout path, but if I hadn't written those poems in high school where people used to, uh, mock me for giving up on school and writing <laughs> poems instead. I probably wouldn't have been here in the first place, so I'm actually really grateful for that. I bet. So that was in high school when you started writing poetry then? Mm-hmm. So can you, do you remember, like, was there something that happened that triggered it or or something that made you, like, want to start writing? Or is it was it more of a like a gradual slide into I'm I'm not sure like I I just wrote I guess it wasn't like I wasn't doing it for anyone um it was just like a thing that gave me joy I mm-hmm. guess um I can't even like really think about at what point it started um right all of the funny stories that I have about writing poetry in high school are not about how it started, but about how people responded to it. <laughs> okay. Um, like that one time that uh, another boy uh, saw me writing a poem and then like stopped in the middle of uh, the lunch break at that uh, that day and like met me and asked, "Hey, so I see you write these poetry things. Um, do you mind writing a poem for me?" It's like. Why do you want me to write a poem? Oh, so I can get this uh, girl on the <laughs> other side of school to go on a date with me. It's like, what? I don't know who you're talking about. Do you really want me to do this? I'll pay you for it. Yes, I will write this poem. And I <laughs> I did it that one time and then a couple of other times and then stopped immediately because I felt like we were crossing a line somewhere. But um, yeah, it, it was just a thing that I did and um, like... Most of the joy that I got at that point was not about how people responded to it, but about how I felt about writing it. Mm -hmm. And then people started noticing, and there was a kind of joy in that as well. Right. Well, I I have to say, I do love that you started out, like, as a sort of poet Cyrano de Bergerac. Um, (laughs) (laughs) 
That's so great. Which, for the record, for all listeners, I do not recommend. Do not do that. <laughs> you will find yourself at the inevitable point where you will be aware that this is kind of wrong. Don't, like, don't wait until you get to that point. Just never do that. Mm. Please. Good point. Um... <laughs> So you've been writing poetry for a while, then you started uh, performing your poetry throughout um, how you sort of grew into being a poet. Did your outlook on what poetry is or what it can mean change at all during that time? Hmm. Well, I think my outlook on poetry is always changing. And I try to keep a very grounded perspective about poetry because something that I love about poetry as it is perceived in space but also kind of am wary of and mildly distrust Mm -hmm. is that a lot of people who really like poetry and are really like engaged by poetry like to believe that a poem is perfectly true all the time that once you know what it means emotionally or even uh, at its riskiest when you know who it's about or when it's about that it's attempting to document something when often that is not the case so i try as often as possible to be very aware of when i am mm-hmm. writing a thing or putting someone in a space as a reader where they think i'm telling them the capital T truth about a person or an experience rather than capturing a moment uh, atmospherically or documenting an emotion. Mm -hmm. Um, Because this is not to say that it's also not true. It's often very true. Um, In a very weird and strange way, I think a lot of the poems in Can You Sign My Tentacle are true, but they're not documenting experience. Um, and I try to temper that as much as possible. Right. Uh, I also think that you learn a lot about poetry from hear, like from performing. You learn a lot about poetry from hearing other people tell you what they heard rather than what they said. Mm. Um, because that's the moment when you know very strongly the impact that you've had, and as a result, I try as often as possible to engage with people in person rather than like ask for written notes or send someone an email because it's very easy to look at a thing and know and think that you know something but then you hear it and it's different when you hear it and i want to know what people think about that moment when you've heard it because perhaps i've given them something that i think is reckless to have given them and i want to know that and i mightn't have known it if they just looked at it on a page Right. Well, that is weirdly timely because I think not two days ago I was listening to the Rattlecast, I think it's called, the the magazine does a podcast, and they had a scientist slash poet on, mm-hmm. and they were talking about the parallels between science and poetry, and I never thought of it that way, but they described um, why scientists are so often drawn to poetry and that people who are neither scientists nor poets don't really get that and that is because poetry like science is not a a documented and 
fixed in time thing, but a tool of exploration. Um, yes. And you, everything you were saying was just thinking, oh, right, right, right. And it just reminded me of that so much. And it's, I, I sort of, I, I had that thought in my head, but not fully formed, if that makes sense. It was. I think you just blew my mind there. Because that's a perfect analogy. <laughs> <laughs> it blew mine because, too. Like, because people get attached to science as um, perfectly true whenever it is immediately stated. And often that is the case. Often they have revealed a thing that we did not know before. But as an act of experimentation, it is about always seeking that which is true and sometimes that means you gain new information in the future that makes the old information obsolete but that doesn't make it less valuable because if you didn't have it you wouldn't have gotten to that point and i really do think that poetry is the same right that you write a poem today and then you learn a thing five months ten months ten years from now that you wouldn't have learned if you hadn't written that but when you write that poem in 10 years will make the poem that you've written today obsolete. And I think that that's, I think that being aware of that is really valuable for tempering your expectations about, um, your impact because it means that you also, you have to always be aware of the fact that what you have said today is important today, but you will say something in the future that is more important than anything that you have ever said. Um, I, I, that's why I sort of, I like seeing like poems by one poet in during different times of their life because it it does feel like a moment in time that sort of takes you back there um but yeah it totally blew my mind too I will be including a link to the rattlecast in the episode notes as always happens with with all things mentioned here um but I can totally advise it. It is so, um, it is a bit long and a bit daunting for that reason sometimes, but they, they start with a poet that comes on and they have an interview and like sort of mo moments in which the poet reads poems throughout the interview and then they talk about them. Um, and then at the end, people can like call in and like all these people can read sort of like poems, um, on the episode and it's like sometimes it's very raw early draft material but it's super spontaneous and it's really really amazing and a lot of them either do the weekly prompt poems because every week they give a prompt for the next one or there's the poets respond thing where they read out a poem that sort of talks about something that was in the news that day um stuff like that it's not speculative, but I'll forgive them for that. I can highly advise that podcast as well. <laughs> <laughs> um, they can't all be speculative, sadly. Yes, sadly. Well, they, they could be, but we can't always expect that of them. And I mean, we must all, we must still leave room for everything else. It's just, yeah, absolutely. this is the place where I love to play the most. Absolutely. I find myself self leaning into it more and more as well, but I do still write like non-speculative poems as well um so it's not it's not it's both are valid absolutely it's just that yeah. i specifically started this podcast because i wanted there to be like more attention for speculative poetry because it is so underappreciated and <sighs> speculative poetry what's that um is something i hear a lot maybe also because i live in belgium of course same 
I know that feeling. It's not a very pleasant one, to be honest. But also, I do get some kind of joy in being able to answer that question for people, because it is nice when folks aren't aware that there is a space that they can enjoy, and then you give them something and they feel like it's absolutely new. It's really good for them. Yeah. It's really refreshing. Um and I do like speculative poetry so much that I'm glad enough to share it with them. Yeah, and I also think that a lot of speculative poetry makes the whole poetry umbrella, spectrum, whatever, more accessible because it can be an entry point that is maybe less intimidating because what a lot of us learn about poetry in school is so not what poetry is. And I think speculative poetry, poetry is a great way to show that. Um, so I think we need to just keep screaming about it, I guess. Yeah, I am very much in favor of this. <laughs> um, so between all the different ways in which you do play around with words and literature, do you have like a favorite or not really? Um, I mean, it depends on what you call it, it depends on how we define favorite because on the one hand um NaNoWriMo is coming up and I'm definitely trying to crack a novel because I've been trying to crack a novel for ages because I write short fiction as well and I'd want to have at some point a book under my belt and that's like the other goal that I have set for myself but just as it was when I was in school um poetry comes easiest to me and is the thing that I refer to when I just need to write something for myself or to write something for comfort or to discover something. Um, and I'm never really thinking of it as a favorite. It's just kind of happening. It's just kind of coming to me naturally. Um, so I guess that counts. I guess the fact that it can come that naturally does mean something. I do value that. Um, but I'm trying to do as many things as possible as well. <laughs> yeah, that that again is a sentiment that that is so so familiar. Um, I I don't think I could like skip voice work and narration because I do love sort of bringing stories to life in a completely different way that's off the page. Um, but at the same time, I don't think I could miss stories or poetry myself. So sounds very familiar. Yeah. So you already said that your like the speculative is your favorite playground, but do you write things that are not speculative as well, or not really? I do. Um, Caitlin, because hey, dog. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the neighbor had um, the nerve to walk past our house. Can you imagine? <laughs> How dare! <laughs> Uh, but to your question, um, I do write non-speculative things. When I started writing, I write it, I, I was writing non-speculative things. Um, and I still do. Um, a lot of my, uh, spoken word work is non-speculative. Um, every once in a while, I will write a poem that is inspired by a thing that is happening very immediately in my space. And sometimes it will naturally become speculative and sometimes it won't be. Um, I do think personally I've been trying to fulfill a weird personal goal, which is whenever a writing space 
is considered quote-unquote literary. I want to enter that space with something speculative, not because I think (laughs) that those things are separate or cannot uh, mix well uh, in a piece of writing, but because I want there to be more examples of the fact that that is a perfectly natural combination. Um, So, like, I will try to enter competitions with speculative work, even though it's not a speculative competition. So people will have to gauge that piece of work on its own merits. Um, And because I think that they can, and I think that if you give them the capacity to be aware that uh, you don't have to do one thing in that one space, uh, people will accept it and it will widen that space. And I think that that's kind of true, kind of true for speculative spaces as well. Um, That if we widen our perspective or think more critically about our perspective of what makes a thing speculative, we'll discover that not only is there a lot of room for a lot of things, but a lot of other things that we thought they had room for requires more thoughtful observation than just putting it in this space. Right. Um, yeah. So, um, let's get back to your collection for a bit. Okay. Because there's a very strong thread running through all of those poems and, like, forging them into a coherent whole. And... Not only that, but you managed to build on Lovecraftian mythos in a way that worked for me and me being the complete opposite of a Lovecraft fan. Um, I can't stand his prose style and I try every now and then and I, I never can get through it. But your poems absolutely stand alone without their framework as well. Um, but... How did it come about? What made you say, let's take the bones of Lovecraftian myth and replace the tendons and connective tissue with something I made so it can move in completely new ways? Uh, The story of how uh, Can You Send My Tentacle came about strikes me as incredibly funny to me personally. Um... Because if it weren't for Interstellar Flight Press, it would not have been a book. I wouldn't have, I would never have written any of the poems in that collection except the first, actually. Oh. Um, because literally what happened was, um, several years ago, Uncanny Magazine was having a Kickstarter for, um, their, uh, for an upcoming year of content. I believe this would have been, um, 2018, if I'm not mistaken. If I'm not mistaken. And um, because I was one of the commissioned poets for that upcoming uh, year of Uncanny Magazine, um, they wanted to put together like uh, a poetry reading uh, to let people know these are the people who will be writing poetry for Uncanny Magazine. This is how great their poems are. This is why you should give us money so we could make one more year of content. And I thought that that was really cool. Um, and of course I love reading, but I didn't want to read something that I had already written in Uncanny, because you could read it in Uncanny. Um, so I decided to just write a poem, and I was like, what do I want to write about in this moment? Um, at that moment, um, Donald Glover's latest television show, Atlanta, was, like, now airing. Um, I was, like, in the middle of, like, seriously consuming uh, a lot of episodes. So it was kind of stuck in my brain. Um, And I was like, 
There is a juxtaposition here, but I want it to be meaningful. Um, what is something that would upset someone, if I'm being perfectly honest? Um, and that's that's when the Lovecraft combination came in, because I wanted to put that in the same space as writing that has very often been not very kind to um, people of color, to uh, to say the very least. Right. And I kind of wanted to see what was in that space that would be um, upsetting, that would kind of upend that kind of uh, canon. And it just kind of spilled out. I was just like asking myself questions about that and the rest of the poem just kind of came out of my brain and I was like, this looks good. I'm not sure if it's done yet, but I'm going to read this. And I read it and people liked it. Um, and then I never thought it, never thought about it again for months. Um, had no intention of doing a thing with it. I just thought it was interesting. And then uh, Interstellar Flight Press issued a call for poetry collections and I was like, Every poem that I have written so far is not a collection, and I don't know how to make them one. So I'll need to start writing. What do I want to write more about? And then I looked back at that poem. Um, Haster asks for Donald Glover's autograph, the very first poem in the collection. Um, and I went, Is there more here? I highly doubt it, but can there be more here? And I started like taking notes and, like, scribbling around my handwritten first draft of that poem, and, like, asking myself questions about what I want, what I would want such a collection to say. And then I discovered that it, like, in the asking of that question, I was learning things about my own work, about the work that I admire, and interestingly enough, I was learning things about Lovecraft as a person that made me feel like I had room to say something. And then I just, like, forced those things out. And when I submitted it, I didn't think that it was going to be... I didn't think that it was done. I didn't think that uh, they would take it. I just thought, this is an attempt for me to know what it's like to finish uh, a collection. So when I'm working on the thing that I was actively working on at the time, the collection that was actively eluding me, um, that collection will be done, and I'll send that to Interstellar, and they will dig that. And then Holly emailed me back and said, yeah, we're taking this. I was like, really? <laughs> this? <laughs> but then the working, in the editing of it, I started discovering even more. And I was like, okay, cool. I'm actually very grateful that this kind of happened because I thought that I was doing something. I thought that I was making this out of the selfish desire to have something published. And in the process, I had discovered more than I thought that I would have when I started writing it. And I'm very grateful that I did so discover these things. Well, um, obviously, I'm terribly glad you wrote it. Um, <laughs> because... Thank you very much. I'm very flattered. I'm not stopped raving about it. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> so all of the poems in... Can You Sign My Tentacle would work, I think, perfectly in a spoken word setting. And to be honest, that sort of applies to every piece of yours I managed to find online. But do you ever write poems that are meant solely to be read off the page but wouldn't work in a performance setting? Hmm. Well, I think 
I personally think that everything can be performed. How it would be received on a stage is a completely different matter. And because of my experience in spoken word, I know that there is a certain kind of effort that your body needs to put out in order for that to be worthwhile. Um, and that's not saying that um, entering, like going on a stage in a different uh, state of uh, being makes the thing that you read in that state of being less, but there is a certain kind of energy output that is expected from a, a performance poem that if you don't meet that, uh, people kind of slip under it without uh, getting every single breath of that poem. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do think, for instance, that all of the poems in this collection can be performed. They're written in a way that they can be performed. They're terribly short for spoken word poems, which is why I wouldn't consider most of them performable. Um but they can still go on stage and gather energy. Yeah. The energy, therefore, is all in one's body, all in how you read it, and that's also a matter of how you read it to yourself as well. Um, what, what are the things that are valuable to you, and how do you make those things valuable to an audience when you read them aloud? Um, but I also think that if I were writing this collection with the mind of how would it sound being performed for an audience that is accustomed to performance poetry rather than being performed in general, just being read. A lot of these poems would change, and they would change in ways that would make them difficult to read on the page, um, I think. Um, which is also not to say that a performance poem cannot be well-read, but your capitalizing on two different things when you write for when you write a performance poem you're capitalizing on the air which means that sometimes things don't mesh well between the air and the eye and that happens the same uh when you write a poem primarily for publication as well but there's a middle ground that i think that is always worth exploring especially with poetry because the the joy of poetry is having it heard read um that I think is important to write in that space for people who just want to hear a well-written poem heard, who just want to hear an engaging poem heard, regardless of its energy, but fully committed to its own language. Now, I think that those things are very nebulous and very complicated. I used to be uh, in the uh, slam poetry circuit. Uh, I used to like enter our national poetry slam uh i i was a member of the team uh of trinidadian poets that was the first caribbean team to enter the brave new the brave new voices poetry slam in uh, the united states wow um all of these things i'm very proud of but one of the things that you learn as a result of having that kind of experience is um knowing what sounds good is very hard <laughs> Um, and sometimes you write a poem with the intention of capturing a large audience sonically very easily, and then you discover very few people actually like attached to your sound in that way. And those like the practice required to consistently 
discover what works and also being accustomed to the fact that sometimes those things are cultural or based on like what is individually popular at that moment or sometimes just down to just plain luck and the only things that you have to uh lean on are the abilities you have to increase your own skill and to increase your own knowledge um is really important in kind of tempering my expectations about um the difference between writing for the page and writing for the stage so i try very often to just like explore that middle ground instead i think i'm safe knowing that i can read this thing and so can everyone else rather than like always making everything high intensity yeah well that that is true um and it is i think that middle ground you mention that sort of it's it's one of the oldest traditions any culture anywhere has um oral storytelling and it's one of the first things that we are familiarized with as children um is like parents reading like bedtime rhymes or stories to us and sort of that is the thing that floats in that middle ground as well and it's something i really love now that being said i write in english in a country where no one else does so i i th sometimes i think i want to like try slam poetry but slam poetry is in dutch and i can't write in dutch i'm only slightly embarrassed about that because it's my my native language but i can't <laughs> Stupid. I'm very but, curious. I'm very curious all of a sudden, but I'm sure that's a conversation for a different time. But I will say, <laughs> um, personally, as someone who, like, I have had this conversation with other uh, slam poets, other performance poets who have also, like, done slam uh, here in Trinidad and uh, elsewhere. Um, and whenever I say this thing, they actually look at me like I have... Um, descended from an alien planet or something but i do not like the joy that i get from slam poetry is not from attempting to win it is from knowing that i'm surrounded by people who are sharing cool things and they have allowed me to share cool things with them um and i think that i would like to believe that even if it is challenging there is room for everyone in a performance space and anyone who doesn't want to give you room shouldn't be there um like i've done open mics for like uh sff conventions before where people have come up on stage and said well i know this poem very well but it's in a language that no one else in the room speaks. Um, and I'm like, please, I want to hear you read this thing. Um, because even if I don't know what you're telling me, the fact that you wanted to share it with me is its own kind of value. And I'm sure that I will still find value from the way that you read it. And that's always been true. And everybody's always been excited by those things. And this is not like me coming on your podcast to tell you you owe it to me to go to a slam <laughs> but i think that i think that you would be very surprised to discover that it might actually be rewarding so long as people are being nice to you and if they're being mean to you you can, you can tell them to talk to me yeah 
<laughs> I will send them straight your way. No, I have been to events um, and I think what some of these Flemish poets are doing is amazing, but it's always in a sort of competitive setting and I never, I never even thought about just competing in a different language. Um, but I will think about it. <laughs> um, yes, thinking about it is all I can ask. Yeah, I don't know. Um, right now, I live in a backwater place, and it takes me quite a while to get to any city. Um, next time I have a chance to attend one, I will at least give myself a fair chance at actually doing something there as well. Nice. So I, yeah, I found a few videos of you reading poems from Can You Sign My Tentacle on YouTube. Now, I'm guessing performance has been a lot less of a thing during the pandemic. Um, how different is it to perform when it's just, well, you already said some of it because you, you like the interaction with people who love this thing that you love, but how how different is it to perform when it's just a camera in front of you as opposed to seeing people responding and taking in your performance is it is it even close to being a substitute it is not it is not uh, mm -hmm. unfortunately um i still enjoy like i'm i still enjoy knowing that i am sharing a thing for people who want to receive it um and the most joy that I've had during the pandemic as a result is making spaces for th that opportunity to be shared with other poets. Um, like, I've had several readings so far during the year um, that were me and other poets from all around the world reading at a con, or I had actually arranged uh, a poetry reading with some of my friends on another... Um, uh, at another time, just like just us gathering to read from work that we are about to be published, so people could hear it. Um, but if I'm being perfectly honest, even though I personally think that I still have a lot of room to grow in terms of my actual ability as a performance poet, the kind of energy that you get from performing is difficult to replicate when you do not know if someone is hearing you. Hmm. Um, there is a kind of energy you get from being in front of an audience, from knowing that not only not only being absolutely aware that they are responding to the things that you are telling them, but also the kind of nebulous kind of fear of not knowing if you're getting through to them and having to work very hard to do so. Um is very stimulating. I actually find uh, I can't take a lot of it in a very large dose. Like, I can't... Like, if somebody asked me to perform alone on stage for 30 minutes, I would probably be very, very nervous about the entire thing. But um, the energy that you get from that is very fulfilling for me. And it it is kind of saddening to know that I don't have that many spaces right now anymore uh, because I kind of feed off that energy in order to uh, perform and it feels sometimes like I have to generate all of that energy and sometimes I don't have it um, which is very difficult to explain uh, but like there are times when I feel like I lack the energy for a performance 
and when you when you put me on stage anyway and I have to find it, the audience giving me their energy, telling me that they enjoy something, showing me that they have been intrigued by something that I've said, mm-hmm. can keep me going for the length of that poem in a way that just sitting in front of my computer can't. And I've been trying to do all of the things that I can do to mitigate that. I've tried performing standing, but my webcam won't see me. I've tried uh, performing with my phone, but I hate holding my phone. Um, Like, I kind of need to be on a stage, I think. And I need to be... uh, Like, the challenge that I got from being on stage was pushing me to be more, not only more engaging in my delivery of my work, but more engaged in my own body in ways that often um, mental illness and overwhelming stress makes it very difficult to be in my body. Um, And I kind of miss being in my body and I want more opportunities to do that. And I'm hoping that when the pandemic is over, um, not only do I have more opportunities to perform, but I'm hoping that I can take some of those opportunities to cons again in person and share those kinds of experiences with uh, other people from all around the world who also write speculative poetry, and especially people who have never actually heard themselves perform before, which is like the joy that I've gotten from doing open mics at cons, hearing people who like, go up on stage and go, I've never read this before, so please be gentle with me. And then, three minutes later, just a standing ovation in the in this audience of people who have never met this person before, letting this person know this thing that you were afraid we would judge you for is actually very beautiful, and we thank you for sharing it. And that, like, I, I kind of need that energy, and not having it for a year is very saddening. Mm, I can imagine. Well, I know I it, <laughs> it it intrigues me. I because for me it's often the other way around when I'm narrating stories. For me, there's a sort of safe space in being able to pretend that uh, no one is listening to me. <laughs> um, <laughs> because when I when I read stories, the podcast I do a lot of my narration for does like. Um, immersive style um, edits uh, with a soundscape and with sound effects and Mm -hmm. um, I will record myself screaming and being murdered and stuff like that and just the thought of doing that with someone looking at me is utterly terrifying (laughs) yes Um, uh, that is as someone who as someone who enjoys performing I will admit a lot of it is actually absolutely mortifying um sometimes i just need to be mortified i'm not saying that everybody deserves to be mortified (laughs) and i do uh enjoy performing certain kinds of things by myself and knowing that i'm like in my own personal space but like i kind of need to be in my body Mm. as often as possible yeah or else i kind of forget what that feels like yeah hearing you talk about it does make me want to try i just need to find an event that I can go to I hope that you do with an easy reach um yeah I hope so too um I will keep you posted I guess <laughs> um well it's it may take me a while um and especially I, I'm not I don't want you to like forge your way into the pandemic trying to look for the space please like I hope that things open up in such a way that you can find uh, a, a nice opportunity to perform but you know 
it's not it's not gonna last forever hopefully i do think it's not gonna like go away the way some people think but i think we're going to like find a new balance eventually yes at which point i can go out and find a slam poetry event um <laughs> so if someone listening to this would want to get into performance poetry is there some kind of advice you could give them um the advice that I would give for someone who wants to get into performance poetry is the same advice that I would give for anyone who wants to get into any creative endeavor, which is the first time that you do this thing is for you to discover what you need to do in order to enjoy it. Um, spend a lot of time enjoying the thing first or trying to enjoy the thing first. Um find poets find work from performance poets that you enjoy and listen to them often um if your community if you are if it is possible for you to be like integrated into a local performance community try to make friends with other poets and try to listen to them and work alongside them as often as possible um, whenever you're going to events read the thing that you think will give you joy to hear um, and document how it feels to have other people hear it. Um, and do that a couple times and figure out whether you like the thing still first. I hope that you do. Um, mm -hmm. but like, don't do it. Like, whenever someone asks me a question about getting into creative work now, I try to stay away from the idea of giving someone tips about how to do it well enough to get paid and stuff first, even though I hope that you do, and I hope that you're working towards um, building a career in this work, and you can build a career in performance poetry as well. Um, but first and foremost, you have to discover whether you enjoy it, because if you don't, it will be a slog to engage with on a regular basis. But when you do enjoy it, it means that there is something fulfilling out of that process that you will get on a regular basis simply by being in that space. Uh, so try to figure out if that is happening first. Spend like a couple of weeks or a couple of months just going to slams, writing stuff that comes off the top of your head, uh, sharing stuff with your friends, listening to your friends' work, and figure out how you feel about performance poetry first. And then if you figure that you still enjoy it, that's the point where you get to really ask yourself questions about what you want to make, how you want people to receive it. Um, and that work is the really like entertaining and engaging part of it. Right. Well, thank you for that. Not at all, because now you've got me thinking about performance poetry. No. Um, so, I'm very glad. <laughs> well, I, I, I think maybe it's it's some it's like a natural progression from going to the safety of recording and having the option to edit to like performing live, but it's a scary step. <laughs> it is. Yeah, very much. Um, so, is there a poet or writer who has had a strong influence on you as a poet on your work? Uh, as a poet, um, I can't stop talking enough about my favorite Trinidadian poet, uh, whose name is Shivani Ramlochan, uh, the author of 
so many wonderful poems that I've thoroughly enjoyed. Um, I. What? <laughs> Sorry for the interruption. That was a puppy cameo. No, don't touch. No, that. touch the thing. Please be part of the recording, doggy. Don't touch the power cable. Or not. Oh no. Okay, that would be a tragedy. Please don't do that. No, she's pulling at the cable. <laughs> so please don't. Uh, she always... She has a talent for mischief. Right. So, uh, Shivani Ramlochan, the author of Everyone Knows I Am a Haunting, which is one of my uh, favorite collections, um, a book that I continually go back to when I just am looking for the sound of a thing or the atmosphere of a thing for my own sake. Um, an astounding poet, uh, in her own right. Uh, someone who I think more people should read. Because when I say that there is room to think more deeply about what speculative poetry means and can do, I am referring very often to Shivani's poetry. And... It's very rare for me sometimes in this space when you are when you are engaged in a creative space on a regular basis it's very hard for you to say that you are so radically inspired by someone's work that it makes you do a thing because that always sounds kind of plagiaristic that I've read this thing and now it's inspired me to make things like it but I'm being perfectly honest when I say uh Shivani's work puts most other poetry that I have ever read in my life to shame, including my own. And every once in a while, I'm like, I want to write a poem that feels like this poem feels. And I'm constantly trying to replicate that experience in my work. Um, so like knowing that Shivani's work can inspire me in this way. And knowing that Shivani is a dear friend and trusted colleague of mine who I can consistently go to for feedback about my own work or questions about the process is really inspiring to me. Not a lot of people in a creative field have that. Um, it's very hard to make community sometimes in space. Uh, and knowing that not only that um, Shivani is a member of my community and is so radical in that space, but that I can look at like often just a line or a word in any one of Shivani's poems, and that can trigger something in me that can make me immediately pick up my own pen and try to do my own best is really engaging for me, and I'm really glad that I can have something like that, uh, an experience like that to inspire me, and that I can have creators like Shivani to look up to. Well, um, it's sort of leads me to my next question. Um, it could be the same poet or a different one, but if you could hang out and have drinks with any poet, dead or alive, who would it be and what are you drinking? Any poet, dead or alive. Hmm. I don't know. Um, you, at the sound of the question, my very immediate instinct was... I bet it would be cool to hang out with Emily Dickinson. And I say this only based on having read a lot of Dickinson when I was very young. Um, 
But I'm like, yeah, I think, I think Emily Dickinson's probably cool. I think just like hanging out with Emily Dickinson would be very rewarding, even if we didn't talk about work, if we didn't write in that moment, it would just be fun to just vibe. <laughs> and I think that it would be fine if we just had like tea or something like that, but I'd also be like, um, do you like brandy? Here's some brandy. Let's just, like, sit at this table and sip some brandy and just, like, talk like we are friends and just, like, chat about weird stuff. And I think that that would be... I think that that would... I think that that would be a wild time and I think that I would really enjoy that. Yeah, no, no, that just... that That's just, like, that my... I'm sure if you ask me this question again a week from now, I would have a totally different answer. But at the moment, I think I want to hang out with Emily Dickinson. Well, what you want to drink and who you want to hang out with does depend on your mood. So that does make sense. Yeah. Yeah, it's not always a bourbon night or a sometimes beer night. Sometimes it's a tea night. And the same goes for people. Yeah, and sometimes you just want no people. <laughs> that is also true. It's It's... Yeah, sometimes you, you just, and I find myself, the, the older I get, the more I just deeply appreciate silence. Um, <laughs> oh, Lord. One of the things that I'm still trying to wrap my head around in the pandemic is I, I've always been the kind of person who likes spending time at home, um, who likes like being by myself, or if I'm spending time with other people, that that time is like, not very energetic that we're just hanging out, like watching a movie or just like sitting around and just talking. And now that that has been my lived reality for several months, I'm like, is this good or not? <laughs> and now that like more than a year has passed, I'm like, no, this is fine. What is not good is not being able to alternate because mm. even the best extroverts still need time to themselves to regenerate their own internal social energy. And sometimes even the best introverts still need to see people and know that people love them. Um, and not giving anybody those options uh, is actually kind of saddening. And that, yeah. that's one of the things that I hope restores when we get back to normalcy. That everybody can just at least... That everybody, like, calls one of their friends immediately after, like, most of the lockdowns have ended and goes, can we just sit in your living room and just be? Because I haven't been in the presence of a person that hasn't already been in my home for 12 months. And I'd just like to see someone's face. Mm. Would be very, Would be very nice. I would appreciate that very much. Yeah. Which is, again, part of the reason why I miss performing. Mm. It's like seeing other people. But yes. Mm. Well, um, I did have one more question, but it could be the same as what you already said. Um, if you could give advice to a younger you, starting as a poet, is, is because you said the other advice question I asked, you said you'd say that to any creative. Um... It is a version of the same. Mm -hmm. Like, there is a specific thing that I would tell my younger self, and that is, don't let anybody tell you what this is supposed to look like. Like, a lot of the anxiety that I've had coming up in performance poetry in particular is the idea that it's supposed to do this thing, and if you haven't done this thing, you have failed. 
Um, and that stopped me a lot of the time from just writing the poem that I wanted to read at an open mic and going to an open mic and reading it. Because I felt like I needed to be the best that I could possibly be in that space instead of just experimenting sometimes. Um, I miss having opportunities to experiment. I wish I had more of them. Especially presently, it would be very nice to have, like writing spaces where I can just read the silly thing that I just wrote. And I feel like if I had learned much earlier in my life, before I had even been published, before I started writing for other people to see it, if I knew that it is fine to write the thing that I want to write or to experiment with the things that I want to discover in my work, um... My work would have grown a lot faster than it had when I started worrying about what poetry was supposed to do. And I'm always trying to return to that space where I can experiment or feel comfortable experimenting and sharing the product of those experiments with other people. So, right. Yeah. Don't let anybody tell you what this is supposed to look like. That is solid advice for anyone. Um Probably also don't play. Don't get on the table. Don't, <laughs> probably also don't play Cyrano. <laughs> now she's trying to get onto the table because my lap isn't good enough. What are you going to do? What are you? Yeah, I come down. I come. I come on. When I'm asleep, <laughs> she will jump on my face. No problem. But now, no, of course not. I come. I come. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Now she's in my lap. Are you happy now? Can you? No, no, don't. I think she wants to be a part of the recording. I think <laughs> she wants. I think she wants to perform a poem of her own. <laughs> that would be interesting. Well, it would, wouldn't it? Yeah, you've sniffed the mic. You've checked everything out. What do you want to do? <laughs> what? No. Yes, the mic is safe. Yeah. No one is in danger. Oh, of course now there's another one getting jealous. Oh. Dogs are like children, aren't they? They will leave you alone and completely ignore you until someone else is getting attention and then they're all there. Ale, unari, ne... What do you... What do you want? Do you want cuddles? I want all of this to stay in the recording. I want, I want people to know... <laughs> I, like, several other writers have said this, and I agree, that one of the few fleet, one of the few and fleeting joys that we have gotten in the pandemic is seeing people interact with their pets. And even though I can't see it, and I'm only hearing it, <laughs> um, this is bringing me great joy. Well, so then I will leave it in, by special request. Unari, are we ready to go back <laughs> on the ground? Because this, this isn't, no, don't. <sighs> This isn't working, honey. This is delightful. <laughs> she's just perched on my lap, but she's not. She's like at the. <laughs> at the oh no! Yeah, she just knocked it's, over the it mic. It sounds like a catastrophe has happened. No, she knocked over the mic stand. <laughs> it's all fine. But she used to be lap sized, but she's uh, pushing the edges of that one. Uh -huh. So, <laughs> well, by special request, we will leave it in. <laughs> Uh, yes. So thank you. Uh, oh God, Lucy, Lucia, 
<laughs> Los. There it is, folks. That was the dog poem. I don't know what was said. <laughs> well, that was but I'm sure it was dogs. very intense. <laughs> it was an, an intruder alert, I think. She's, ah, yes. Yeah, she's, Miss Lucy is very, very territorial up to the point where the airspace above the house and the entire street is all off limits to strangers. So when she thinks mm -hmm. something I, is going to fly over, yeah, I don't blame her. It's a big disaster. <laughs> well, um, all doggy cameos aside, I think it's time for the prompt of the month. So if you have something for our listeners to play around with and write a poem around or a story, if they'd like to go for it. I do, in fact. Um, um, the short version is simply the word roar. R-O-A-R. Mm -hmm. um, and the long version is um, if you if you if you are up for it, and especially if you are not in a particularly uh, tense or upset mood when you decide to start writing this thing, I would like you to consider writing a poem or a story that allows you to roar in your most natural way. Like to express the biggest frustration or the loudest anger that you can, knowing that you are safe in this space to express that. Um, and I'd like to, I, I, I would like very much to actually see what anybody makes in, in that space. Right. Uh, I would like to hear you all roar if possible. Well, in that case, you can come and find us on Discord and share it with me as well. Or you can reach Brandon on Twitter, I think. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, let us know, because now I'm curious too. Um, I will, of course, include all the necessary links in the episode notes. Nice. And next up is going to be, I have to admit, it's my favorite part of the whole thing. Um, because, yeah, I just love hearing all my guests read their poems out because I can read it in and, and hear my voice um, unless well, I didn't exactly read your poems in my voice, but it wasn't exactly the way you'd read it either. So yeah, I do deeply enjoy that. And Unari is listening as well because she's back. <laughs> she's standing next to me. So Brandon, if you're ready, um, we would love to listen to a poem of yours. Yes. Uh, and I would love to read a poem. Um, so, I am trying to fight. I'm going to look for a poem that is not one of the darker or meaner poems in uh, Can You Sign My Tentacle? Because some of them do uh, stray towards the kind of bitter. Um, but I will, in fact, read this one. I will read... Uh, one of the poems that I'm particularly excited is in this collection, um, of which there are two in its, like, small cycle. Um, this poem is called Postcard 20XX, Where There Are No Dirges. Mm. The streets can't help but sing our names back to us. It sounds like a mother's union choir rising out of the mango roots, a well geysering with love. Every Tanti's voice was a procession orchestrated to keep the block stone still. 
to remind us of when the lapels would plot to kick the dust out of the pavement, to paint it Chaconia by at least 6.30, to write the words Somebody Child in chalk, certain of the justice of wild and swinging pain. I remember when the whole gang of boys on my block come to see the ancestors off, our mothers and the leaders of every mass muttering under their breath, Lord, make sure to take them in. The streets are a frigid region. We sing every name, craft Johnny Flambeau. The ice boxes burst open with juice and rapid comfort for the aches. We slap hope against sweet eyes to keep the rhythm as your granny dance in the kitchen to the sound of your father's name. All of us boys remember the night we get our mother scared the first time. Her writing our names everywhere, whispering it like a national anthem into the corners of the house, hoping the bricks would lend us support. Sometimes my brother would venture outside our garden's edge into the castle that the past had built to store the children that they didn't plan to make soil of right away. He would stare at it for hours, try to pull loose bricks out, hoping he would destabilize the wall, say he was just making sure that all the spirits got free. He said he hoped they swam the whole sky above the country, that nothing kept them still but their mothers. He and the others wrote the names of the men without children, put the papers together as kites, let the wind take each by law. Every evening he found a new one, gazette paper abiding. He made sure the evening got all its forsaken citizens before our mother called us back in for dinner, and he'd eat like for all of history's harms done. He let some names live forever. In our mother's way. What do you? No, don't, don't, don't touch the ca- don't touch the cable, and don't touch my toes. Tickles. Don't, don't, don't do that. Okay. I may have excited your dog quite a bit. <laughs> well, she's right. She's. Perhaps I should have read another poem. No, she loved it. Uh, obviously. <laughs> um, no, that was absolutely. Gorgeous. And I loved it as much listening to you now as I did reading it. Thank you. So that brings us to the final question, um, which is, where can our listeners find out more about you or your work? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at The Rising Tithes. That's T-I-T-H-E-S. Um, you can also find me on Instagram under the same name, The Rising Tithes. Um... You can find my book, Can You Sign My Tentacle, uh, wherever you find your books. Uh, I hope that you specifically visit a, a local independent bookstore to get your copy, because supporting local independent bookstores is good. Um, I also do a great deal of other things, including uh, game design and game streaming, um, at my friend's channel, twitch.tv slash uh, where you can also find me reading some of my poetry sometimes, or find some of my friends reading some of their poetry sometimes as well. Um, and yeah, that's me. Right, very cool. Um, of course, as I already mentioned, oh, Nadi, stop it. All links will be inc- <laughs> included in the episode notes. Um, 
And that, Looking Glass Travellers, is all for now. If you enjoyed this interview, please consider sharing it on social media or leaving a review wherever you usually get your podcast fix. Helping more people find our work really is one of the best ways to support your favourite content creators. If you'd like to join the conversation or submit listener questions for future interviews, and yes, that is a brand new thing for Into the Looking Glass, come and find us on Discord. These links, along with Brandon's links to his work in social media will as always be included in the episode notes until next time this is me and brandon saying bye 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 into the looking glass is produced by me jasmine arch theme song is wonderland by alexander nakarada until next month